Welcome to Today on Broadway for Friday, August 10th, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway Star's James Marino. James, we're recording, of course, on Thursday night, the 9th. Today is a very special day in my heart because Thursday, August 9th, is the 33rd birthday of one Tony and Oscar nominee, Anna Kendrick. I can't tell you the special present that I sent her that would get me a restraining order just like yours with numerous other stars as well but um uh, anyway so uh yesterday was uh, anna kendrick's birthday many people forget she is a tony nominee for her role in high society she also did a uh, uh production of um uh, uh little night music uh not on broadway but i believe for the new york city opera it was in the iconic movie camp well before she became a, a A-list film star in Up in the Air and then Pitch Perfect and everything else since then. But everyone knows I've got a special place in my heart for Anna Kendrick, so I felt like it was necessary to say that. You got her an autographed original of uh, Richard Dixon resignation letter? Also, also happening on August 9th, yes. Yes, good. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's a little political there. I think she'd appreciate she that. Yeah, she, a little bit. Yeah. And hopefully history will repeat itself. All right. I don't want. I don't want to wait another year. No, don't want to wait another year. <laughs> that sounds like the opening number of a musical. It should be. Mm. All right. Uh, first up in the news, big Broadway announcements. Oh. Sunday, oh, Sunday. Man. Yes, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. We had a ton of relatively big news, some bigger than others, but a ton of Broadway news that came out yesterday. It feels like they decided to dump everything on Anna Kendrick's birthday that they'd been saving up for the entire summer. Uh, so James, I think I'm just going to run through it all. There's one or two that I want to talk about, but if there's something else that you want to jump in on, of course, feel free. It's your show. Um, <laughs> yeah. The most exciting and interesting thing, at least to me from yesterday was that, uh, on Thursday evening, it was announced that Tony nominated director, Amy Morton will helm an all female production of David Mamet's Glen Gary, Glenn Ross on Broadway beginning in May of 2019. The exact dates design team theater and cast will all be announced at a later date. But as Morton is an ensemble member of the Steppenwolf Theater Company in Chicago, I can think of a two-time Tony winner who would be incredible in this show. And she should be finished shooting the first season of the rebooted sitcom that is no longer named for a racist conspiracy theorist <laughs> by the time that rehearsals have to start. So I'm not saying I'm just saying. But what is interesting, obviously, I said it's going to start in May of 2019. That means it will be one of the first shows for the 2019-2020 Broadway season, much like The Boys in the Band was the first one of, of this season, even though it started, I mean, days after the Tony eligibility deadline. Um, that also makes me think, James, that this might be what's going into the court. I hypothesized yesterday that they might be just deciding – well, we can't have a show during Tony season. Let's start the renovations. Maybe they're going to put this in there instead because the timelines would make sense starting this in May right after network closes uh, in March, possibly extended even further. But another thing that really surprised me, James, is obviously for this to be happening, David Mamet has to have approved it. So one, there won't be any talkbacks. <laughs> two, I'm kind of surprised that he would allow an adaptation of this type. I mean, Amy Morton's a Chicago person, David Mamet famously from Chicago. So maybe there's some sort of connection and she was able to convince him, but this seems like a not 
Mammothian uh, thing to do with this type of show? Uh, maybe some sort of uh, olive branch that he's extending to the uh, theatrical community after his uh, missteps in the last couple of years? Could be. I mean, he wants to get this Harvey Weinstein show uh, on Broadway eventually, and maybe he thinks he needs to uh, play nice and not be such an unscrupulous dick to do it. But, you know, um, <laughs> play nice and not be mammoth. Yeah, and not be mammoth. You know, play well with others. He doesn't play well with others. He doesn't even like people talking about playing well with him. Um, but it maybe it just seems weird that because this will certainly be a reinvention of that show. That show is about in one way or another masculinity. I mean, the mo- what, I mean, no spoilers, yeah. I guess. But the most iconic, <laughs> the most iconic scene from that has to do with a pair of yeah you know, ear earmuffs. Uh, Gold testicles. I mean, I mean, that's going to play differently when it's all women. So it just seems like this is not something that Mamet normally approves. But it's interesting. And I am. I mean, this is this is a must see because I feel like this is not going to be something where they just have people fresh off an equity call uh, filling this cast. This will be an all star cast Mark it down. And I'm calling Laurie Metcalf. Laurie Met- if Laurie Metcalf's not in this, it's an affront to all that is good and holy in the Broadway community. All right. Uh, so Tootsie to play the marquee this spring. Yes. Sticking with Chicago Connections. Yesterday, it was announced that the upcoming musical adaptation of the beloved big screen comedy Tootsie will be playing Broadway's marquee theater beginning on March 20, March 29th. What's interesting is that this announcement comes more than a month before the show starts performances in Chicago for its out of town tryout. It will run at Chicago's Cadillac Palace Theater from September 11th through October 14th. The show will feature a score by recent Tony winner David Yazbek, a book by Robert Horn, who I guess more most appropriately for Tootsie worked with Dame Edna. Uh, it'll be directed by roundabout Scott Ellis. Interestingly enough, Ellis will be directing this show and Kiss Me Kate, which will be opening within months of each other, weeks of each other in the same season. The show will be led by Santino Fontana, Lily Cooper, Sarah Stiles, John Bailman, Michael McGraw and Reg Rogers. Uh, speaking of recent Tony winners for the band's visit, fresh off his Tony for directing the musical, David Cromer will not be returning to Broadway as a director, but he'll be returning to Broadway as an actor and rounding out the cast of Kenneth Lonergan's The Waverly Gallery. Lila Neugebauer will direct and will feature a cast that includes the legendary Elaine May, movie stars Lucas Hedges and Michael Sarah, also a Tony nominee, and uh, Tony winner Joan Allen. That play will begin performances on September 25th at the Golden Theater. And finally, in this little section, James, I don't know if it was this week or last week, but I am firmly of the belief that if Kinky Boots does go down and eventually closes, it will go down swinging. And they have thrown uh, another punch with the announcement that two-time, two-time Dancing with the Stars champion and Broadway's final Frankie Valley, Mark Ballas, will take over as Charlie beginning on September 11th and will remain with the show through November 4th. Now, James, I have zero idea if Mark Ballas is, is you know, enough to carry a Broadway show on his own. I mean, obviously he did. Uh, he was the lead in Jersey Boys when it closed, but it was Jersey Boys closing. So that had a lot of, uh, you know, buzz about it on its own. But he's in the show for like seven weeks. So I think that there's plenty of draw for him to bring people into the show to give it an extra boost to get it into the holiday season. And again, if you're telling me Kinky Boots is closing in January, 
I'm going to have to believe it when I see it. Until that press release comes in, I just don't see the need for it, and I don't see the producers doing it. Hmm. I agree with you, and uh, they've been very clever at the way in which they've attacked the producing challenges of uh, keeping a, a show going. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What's interesting is that they are tackling the non-traditional demographics to try to get people interested in the show. They're not necessarily sticking with the tried and true theater folks. They're getting people that might not normally be interested in theater and bringing them in based off of who they're casting. So I, I think they've done a really good job keeping this show around for five years. All right, so our buddies over at uh, Be More Chill opened up tonight, uh, and the critics have their say. So what say the critics? Um, well, it was really positive. Um, it wasn't uniformly raves. Um, I don't feel like at this point I need to give you the backstory of Be More Chill, the new Joe Iconis musical played out of, played out of state, played in New Jersey in uh, 2015, became this huge cult uh, favorite and is now having an off-Broadway run that is completely sold out. And as I've said multiple times, I will be shocked if it's not back in New York sometime early in the spring next year. And James, I think it's going to be on Broadway. I, If you would have to asked me that, and we probably talked about it a couple weeks ago, I wouldn't have said that. But I'm more and more convinced that this show is going to be on Broadway based off of these reviews. Starting first, first with Ben Brantley, which is not a rave, but it's positive. He said, quote, Personally, I was happiest when the plot careened off the rails into sci-fi apocalypse territory, which happens during the school's politically corrected version of A Midsummer's Night's Dream. A Midsummer Night's Dream. That was a hoot. The rest of the show is more of a sustained holler. That's not the worst thing it could be, I guess. Um, and being receptive to its charm surely requires a much younger set of ears than mine. It may be helpful to think of this bounding, exhaustingly enthusiastic puppy of a show as the theater equivalent of one of those high-pitched dog whistles that only those under 25 can hear. And w normally I just go through all the reviews, but this got me thinking, James, and not in the way that Ben Brantley's reviews have gotten me thinking lately, but we often talk about the need for Broadway shows to appeal to audiences that aren't white people in middle age, uh, that have a ton of disposable income. A lot of the reviews that we're going to hear um, throughout this, and not I'm not going to read all of them, obviously, but when they had critiques of the show, a lot of it had to do with it being geared to a younger audience. If we want people of a younger generation to come to the theater, we have to give them something to come for. And I think with shows like this, we saw it with Heather's Off-Broadway a couple years ago that got this huge following and never made it to Broadway, at least not yet. We're seeing it with Mean Girls. Uh, I think that there is a significant investment in putting shows like these on the largest platform possible. Now, I'm not a producer. I don't have money in this show, although I would, if I had any money, I'd give it to him because I think you can make your money back. But I think there's value in this show being on Broadway, even if it's not your cup of tea. But whose cup of tea was it? Terry Teachouts from the Wall Street Journal. He said, quote, Be More Chill is a delight, a tale of social anxiety whose pop rock score written by Joe Iconis is unfailingly lively and fresh. Stephen Brackett and Chase Brock, the director and choreographer, keep the pace brisk and the cast, Ste uh, Stephanie Husey uh, in particular, is engaging without limit. Yes, Joe Trask's book is deliberately pitched to an under 35 audience, but you don't have to be a millennial to get the jokes, much less to revel in the sparky charms of be more chill see it now if you can wrangle a ticket because it's going to it's going to hit big and deservedly so watch this 
when it makes its inevitable move to Broadway. So Terry Teachout and I are on the same level here. And the last one that I'm going to read is from Matt Winman from AM New York. And I just love the description of this. That's why I included this. He said, quote, Dear Evan Hansen meets Little Shop of Horrors in Be More Chill, a smart and crowd-pleasing new musical comedy containing superb pop rock uh, pop rock show tunes by Joe Iconis and crafted with familiar elements of high school teen comedy, sci-fi movies, social media, and tri-state suburbia. Look, if James, if you told me there was going to be a musical that mashed up Little Shop of Horrors and Dear Evan Hansen, I would say it's going to be a hit, and I, I think Jen Tepper is going to have to figure out what Broadway house she wants to put this into in the spring. So uh, what you're saying about bringing shows to Broadway to fit a younger audience, I can think of a handful, um, Rent, Wicked, Mm -hmm. Hamilton. These are Mm -hmm. the things that not only changed Broadway, but did phenomenal biz. So uh, I think that's, that's the lightning in the bottle there. And I think they've got it. I don't think this is Dear Evan Hansen. I don't think this is is Hamilton. But I think this is a show that will do well on Broadway. Whatever well means, I don't know. But this is a show that should not be overlooked just because it's a silly – you know, Hamilton and Dear Evan Hansen had a little bit more um, emotional substance to it. Now, Be More Chill certainly does. But it, it, it airs m- more on the goofy comedy side of things um, while it still has some of that emotional stuff. Michael in the Bathroom is a, a very emotional. It's a great song. Um but it, I don't think it should be dismissed just because it is it does play kind of like a teen high school movie, a John Hughes movie in the 21st century. Uh, I, I think this is I mean, I'm not breaking any news here by saying Be More Chill is a show to watch out for. But um, I think people have just been assuming it's this little small thing that's going to maybe transfer to New World stages. But I just think it's bigger than that. All right. Well, we'll have to see. Next up. Our friend Mark Hirschberg is back from Martha's Vineyard or somewhere because he's been MIA for months and uh, gives us a story about Bull Durham. That's so funny because you haven't really read read ahead in the script, I don't think, but I wrote in the script that – Earlier on Thursday, as I was collecting stories, I went to Mark Hirschberg's page on Forbes and there hadn't been anything posted in a month. (laughs) Then I'm coming out of CrossFit. I get a text message with a link to this story, uh, and it's a pretty big one. Following an out-of-town tryout at Atlanta's Alliance Theater back in 2014, the musical adaptation of Bull Durham was supposed to come to Broadway. But apparently they hit, no pun intended, a little bit of a hiccup thanks to some production companies who were brought in to help secure financing. The production reportedly reached agreements with Weathervane Productions and Forest Capital Partners. According to Hirschberg, the businesses that helped fund several films and co-financed the Penn & Teller on Broadway show back in 2015. So Weathervane and Forest Capital weren't fly-by-night shell companies. They were legit production companies with you know, substantiated backgrounds, or at least they were at a certain point. The plan was that the producers of the show would make two deposits totaling $5.375 million into an account with the bank UBS, and then those production companies would secure funding to match it. However, within hours of the first $2.5 million deposit going into the account, money started going out. According to Bull Durham's lawyers, Bull Durham is not a person, by the way, it's a, it's a, team, just so you know. But the show's lawyers said, quote, four payments went out of the account the same day, the day the money went in, including a payment to the founder of Forest Capital Partners' brother, 
and another to a Washington, D.C. consulting firm. Then, uh, after a few other un- unapproved payments, the lawyer again said, quote, the entire $2.5 million had been stolen. Reportedly, in their financial agreement with the production companies, the show had to give approval for any monies that were spent from the account ahead of time, but that obviously never happened. Now, James, the show tried to seek recourse by filing an arbitration proceeding against the bank, but that was apparently later withdrawn since the account was actually set up by Forest Capital, so Bull Durham didn't actually have standing to bring the arbitration. Now, At this point, what's the craziest part about this article is not that Mark doesn't really say whatever happened to the money or what's next to get it back. The craziest thing is the last line. And it says that the show is, quote, now scheduled to throw out its first pitch on Broadway sometime in spring 2019. Whoa. Talk about burying the lead. What? Huh? (laughs) This show got... Good reviews, not great. I mean, not terrible, but good, okay reviews in Atlanta. And then it starred John Bailman, now in Tootsie, Melissa Errico, and Will Swenson. Now, James, obviously no one knew, I mean, not many people knew what was going on behind the scenes here. But I just kind of assumed that this show went the way of the Dodo and like a lot of other shows just kind of fizzled, couldn't pick up enough steam to get to Broadway. I mean, is there any chance that that's actually going to happen this spring? Or is this just something where somebody says... Yeah, we're coming to Broadway this spring trying to fill in the gaps from the $2.5 million they lost to actually finally get a production up. Yeah, you know, lots of people say that they have a show that's coming to Broadway. Um, But, I mean, we have the magical Excel spreadsheet with the uh, real estate. (laughs) So unless they're playing uh, Broadway, Ohio, uh, I don't know if they're playing Broadway in New York. Well, I'm pulling up my spreadsheet here because I was going through this today because we had the uh, announcement of network. But I yesterday. mean, I mean, you don't have Broadway producers. You don't have uh, a director known to be attached. You don't I, have any high profile stars to be attached. I mean, th- this doesn't unless, happen unless, that quickly. Unless the people who are involved with it at the Alliance are still attached. But the, the thing that I was going to say is that there's actually a lot of theaters that are open for the spring, not including shows that could close by then, either at Labor Day or or, um, uh, or, or at New Year's. You've got one, two, three, four, five. And sorry, I'm counting this as we're going through five, uh, six, seven at least seven theaters that already are known to not have a tenant for the spring. Now, of course, there's always tons of things that want to come in. But I mean, if Bull Durham actually wants to come in, there's there's space for it if it can fight the right partnership. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, When you were talking, uh, I hadn't read Mark's article yet. Uh, When you were talking through this, I started to wonder, you know, as payments were coming in and payments were going out, what Broadway show will be the first Broadway show financed and made to happen through Bitcoin? I wonder. Uh, because you can't really right. trace any Bitcoin investments, so... Let's, let's be honest. We know who the producer is going to be who produces a show with Bitcoin. Like, we know who's going to do that. Like, there's no <laughs> question which producer it's going to be. I mean, come on. Mm. I uh, wonder who that will be. All right. Next up in the news, Uh, William Ivy Long accused of sexual harassment and abuse in BuzzFeed article. Yeah, James, we hate these stories. And fortunately, or I mean, unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, we haven't had to do one in a while. But as has become our standard practice, 
I'm not going to get into a lot of the you know nitty gritty specifics of the case and accusations. We'll leave you to read that on your own. We'll have the link to the BuzzFeed article in the show notes if you want to read it. But it was released last night, and a man named Michael Martin claims that beginning in the summer of 1995, while working as an actor and a crew member at the Lost Colony in North Carolina, which is a this huge uh, well-known traditional yearly outdoor summer show um, dramatizing the lost colony of Roanoke. Um, uh, Martin claims that he was systematically harassed and abused by Long, who now serves as the iconic outdoor productions designer. He claims that especially in the summer of 1996, Long regularly groped him and berated him. And despite multiple attempts to get him to stop, including one in which he yelled at Long in the prop room, it didn't get better. In the article, Long's lawyer responded to one or two of the peripheral claims, but not the actual accusations. Martin says that he is still traumatized to this day by the experience. Um, William Ivy Long is a beloved figure, James, in the community. Um, and these accusations, and I don't, I probably shouldn't try to compare them, but these are not of the Harvey Weinstein variety. Uh, in there, they're probably more in line, maybe a little bit worse than what we read about with Tommy Schumacher. Um, I don't know if what happens with this, um, but it's not a good look. Um, and it's definitely not something that you ever want to have to read um, uh, about someone of the stature of William Ivy Long. All right. Uh, okay, Matt, what else do we have in other news? Oh, we've we've got a lot, so stop me if you want to talk about anything specifically. But first, probably in the biggest under-the-radar news, it was announced that Cora Khan, the founder – the founding president and CEO of the new 42nd Street has announced that she will step down at the end of June of 2019. She was the leading force in the reclamation of 42nd Street and really much of the Midtown area. The New York Times has a great profile on her and everything that she's accomplished in 28 years. James, she's probably not a name that most theater fans that aren't directly connected to the business know, but she certainly had a monumental impact on the theater community, especially Broadway of today. Absolutely. Uh, this is um, uh, un- unbelievable to, to imagine uh, a 42nd Street without Cora, but I'm sure she'll be around. And uh, Yeah. And all of the stuff that she's led uh, will be around for years and years and years, uh, much more so. So, all right. In other news, yesterday, Scott Rudin announced a company that will be joining two-time Tony winner Betty Buckley in the national tour of Hello, Dolly. Joining the company will be Louis Dre Stadlin as Horace Vandegelder, Nick Rouleau as Cor- Cornelius Hackle, Annalisa Le- uh, Leeming as Irene Malloy, Jess Laproto as Barnaby Tucker, Christine Hahn as Minnie Faye, Garrett Haw as Ambrose Kemper, Morgan Kerner as Ermagard and Jessica uh, Sheridan as Ernestina Money. The uh, the tour will officially get underway in Cleveland on September 30th after a technical run in upstate New York. Also yesterday, we learned that Chris Davis, most recently of Sweat on Broadway, and DeWanda Wise of She's Gotta Have It on Netflix, will lead Danya R. Loves Fireflies at the Atlantic Theater Company beginning on September 26th. The show is the second part of Love's trilogy following Sugar in Our Wounds, which played earlier this year off-Broadway. Both parts thus far, Sugar in Our Wounds and Fireflies, have and will be directed by Sahim Ali. 
And yesterday, after a nationwide search, Baltimore Center Stage announced that Stephanie Ybarra had been chosen as the theater's next artistic director. Ybarra currently serves as the director of special artistic projects at the Public Theater. She will begin working in Baltimore in October and will transition to full time in December. Another great hire, and we're seeing um, women, a lot, and a lot of women of color, uh, being. Uh, eligible or finally getting kind of their recognition as artistic directors around the country. So great news there. And finally, James, two stories that make me unbelievably happy for different reasons. First, uh, do you remember that story from a week or so ago about a West End show that had to pool an actress who was working in the box office? Oh, yeah, yeah. The stage? Well, sure. her, her name, the actress slash box office worker, her name is Jennifer Caldwell. And Jennifer Caldwell has now been made a full-time cast member of the show. Uh, so it's a very cool story uh, making, you know, going from the working the box office at a West End theater to being in a West End show. So congratulations to her. Again, probably not something that would fly super well with uh, equity in New York, but UK equity is a little different. So uh, congratulations to her. Wait one second. Maybe did any – she ended up in that show because there was an accident or something? Um, I forget, I forget the specifics. The the understood the the one of the female leads couldn't go on, and I don't remember. I don't think they ever said exactly what that was for. But her understudy was already filling in on another track. Um, yeah. So they had to like rearrange things and and move people around. And I don't exactly know what she went in for. I think she just went in as an ensemble member. Yeah. Uh, but you know, with all the moving people's tracks around and pulling double duty and stuff. So I don't think we ever really heard the specific details might be something we need to get our friend John in from a uh, curtain call over in the UK yeah. to see, give us some details. But, um, but yeah, just a, a really cool story. I mean, it's not like she was not an actress to begin with, but no, but uh, what I'm thinking is, you know, she got this, Oh, uh, don't do it. This understu- understudy don't. thing. And, and all of a sudden now she's got a good gig, you know, a little single white female thing happening there. She, did she create her own opportunity? All about yeah. Eve. Yeah. All about Eve. No, <laughs> we'll I have to get get, get is, the curtain call guys to uh, do some uh, backstage interviews there on this. This is this is such a sweet story, and you had to go make it something sinister, James. Why'd you have to do that? Um, <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. All right. Finally, in words that I never thought that I would ever utter on this show, the Dog Father himself, himself Snoop D O Double G, Snoop Diggity Dog up in this hizzy, will be making his theatrical stage debut in a new musical called Redemption of a Dog. That's two G's, of course. Uh, the show will co-star uh, R&B uh, songstress Tamara Braxton and is written, produced, and directed by Jacarius Johnson. The show will go on a national tour with dates already announced for Houston, Brooklyn, St. Louis, Chicago, D.C., and Los Angeles, with more to be announced soon. According to a press release, Redemption of a Dog, quote, chronicles a character built around the persona of Snoop Dogg, a multifaceted character who is a gangster rapper, family man, and man of God. Redemption of a Dog examines the internal battle one man has between preserving his lifelong legacy and losing the love of his life when he is faced with choosing fame and fortune over faith and family. Redemption of a Dog is set against a backdrop of Snoop Dogg's greatest hits, Bow wow wow yippee yo yippee yay, uh, as well as songs from his recently released chart-topping gospel album, Bible of Love. So uh, the uh, for the production will actually premiere on the 25th anniversary of Snoop Dogg's debut album, Doggy Style. So uh, I love 
every single word about this story. I'm telling you, certainly not going to play as many performances as uh, Hamilton, but I think as hard to get a ticket as Hamilton or Bruce Springsteen or any of the others. This is going to be, I I promise you, this is going to be a sellout. It's going to be huge. I want this to come to Broadway. Like that's, I, I don't care about anything else. I've been standing for Hades Town. No, Bull Durham. No, forget Bull Durham. I love Hades Town, but I want Redemption of a Dog with two Gs on Broadway ASAP. Get us out of here, Matt. All right. Thanks for listening to today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWWMatt. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. If you have a little extra Bitcoin, send it over to DaddyLongLegs at (laughs) gmail.com. And other than that, Matt and I will talk to you on Monday. (laughs) You got to get the Daddy Longlegs ticket. Thank you.